You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of the Aging Starts Now podcast. I'm Chris Johnson, partner and attorney here at Tagus McGinnis Elder Care Law, and is with me is Barbara McGinnis, partner and attorney also here at Tagus McGinnis Elder Care Law. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about how to use your durable general power of attorney effectively and how to deal with the roadblocks that happen when outside institutions or organizations don't want to recognize it. Barbara, welcome. Good morning, Chris. It's increasingly we hear that from our clients is that um, it doesn't go quite as smoothly sometimes as we think it should or plan for it to. Um, And there's a variety of really excuses more than reasons is it's my opinion. Uh, We hear everything from the documents too new to the documents too old. I don't like the way the signature looks. All kinds of uh, excuses that cause people difficulty when they're trying to work with a power of attorney document. And that's unfortunate because the point of a durable general power of attorney is for one person, the agent, to be able to continue to conduct the business of another person, the principal, with third parties like banks or financial institutions or selling real estate. Um, So we want it to go smoothly because the alternative, of course, is court interference. And we want to avoid that whenever possible. Uh, There should not be a penalty for planning ahead and being proactive. So um, one of the tips that I have for clients, and it It might sound a little basic, but one of the tips I have is to build a relationship with those third parties before you need it. Uh, Again, we're talking about being proactive, but for instance, if you are going to need to be able to use that power of attorney in a bank, the agent and the principal should go to the bank together, in theory, in a post-COVID-19 world and talk with maybe the the branch manager or somebody that's there that works with client relationships and introduce them. Hi, this is my daughter. She's my uh, durable power of attorney or my attorney, in fact, and start building that relationship so they know it exists and facilitate an introduction, share documents uh, for that just-in-case movement uh, or moment. What do you think, Chris? And I, I think that's spot on, Barbara. And that's something, uh, it's little things like that, that we we miss as our society moves to the more technological age where we have video teleconference and email. And it seems like we can do almost everything these days, not in person, from grocery shopping to working. Um, and in the COVID world, it's really only exacerbated that. And those personal relationships 
matter. And I know some people will say, well, you know, the document, I shouldn't have to do that. This is a legal document. And again, we can stomp our feet and say we shouldn't have to, or we can deal with the realities of the world and say, well, maybe I shouldn't have to, but if I do this, I'm going to put myself and my agent in a much better position. And sometimes it's worth doing those small things so you avoid the big issues down the road. Exactly. And, and what I've heard, and I'm sure you have too, from uh, some of the banks, when, when we have banker friends that uh, refer to us and we work with on a regular basis, they're being protective of their client as well. And their client is the older adult in this situation. And they just want to make sure that things are done right. Now, if we're talking about a bank where we have relationships, there's an inherent trust there. We can't have relationships with every bank in Middle Tennessee. So it really is incumbent on the principal and the agent to, to foster these own relationships and, and make that introduction. The other thing that financial institutions do, and you can ask about this, uh, you know, if you're the client, ask about naming a trusted contact person on your uh, account or on your client profile at the bank or with your financial advisor. That trusted contact person uh, ideally would be your agent, right? You're the person you name as your power of attorney or your attorney, in fact. And those are all the same words, mean the same thing. <laughs> yep. People get confused by that all the time. So dovetailing on that, Barbara, the uh, talking about making the introduction and uh, this trusted agent, what you're really doing is, is you're giving yourself some security. You're layering this. You're saying when the bank goes to validate this power of attorney, when they see that power of attorney is also the trusted agent, they see that those are the same person. That gives them confidence that this, this isn't some type of fraudulent document. They feel more secure. And like you said, they're looking out for their client, who oftentimes happens to be our client as well. Um, but they're also looking out for their institution. And rightfully so. They have a job to do, and, and they are trying to do that. Uh, in the best of ways. And one of the things that dovetails with what we've talked about with both of these is just sharing the document ahead of time. And when you build that relationship and introduce the agent, bring the document, have the bank scan it in, have them attach it to the account is most times, most often how they do it or their parlance. And what that does is then it's there when you need it and it's been validated by you're coming there in some type of emergent situation and you're, you as the agent are probably flustered or upset because the person you're serving is power of attorney for, maybe they're sick, maybe they've become incapacitated. And so now it's not a good mo moment. You are in a rush and you look frazzled. And when you present to a bank in frazzled and hurried and, hey, I need this done right now, that generally causes them to want to touch the brakes because whenever we see something like that. What's our first thought? Everyone needs to calm down. We don't want to rush to failure. And it gives them more reason to have pause. If they have the document ahead of time, if you've built this relationship, you have that trusted agent. Now, if it is an emergent situation, you come there and you say, all of this has been set up ahead of time. They know who you are. And the likelihood for them to respond positively to you has, has increased astronomically. 
you know, one thing attorneys that I think it can that we can do uh, in advising clients would be to not draft springing powers of attorney. And a springing power of attorney is one that is contingent upon some event. Ordinarily, that's incapacity. That sounds like a good idea that we should have springing powers of attorney. In reality, it is, um, it, it, it's a barrier. It is cumbersome. It interferes with the agent being able to act with the power of attorney document when they need to. Uh, it also creates an opportunity for third parties to say, oh, this needs to go to our legal department now to make sure that you've exercised your springing clause correctly. Oh, we don't like that doctor's statement or we don't, that's, it's insufficient or whatever. It creates an opportunity for failure of that document. So I think as attorneys, we can counsel clients ahead of time about why you would not want to use a springing power of attorney. That's right. The the devil's in the details. I, I talk to the clients often about that. And what, what I tell them is it sounds good and, and it briefs well. People hear springing and they feel like, well, that sounds safer. And it, it, it might feel a little bit on paper. But when you talk about mechanically how it plays out and you bring that document and that document is going to require some certification of the incapacity of the principal. And now you're rushing to doctors trying to get them to write a letter and you don't know who that letter is supposed to be written to saying that this person lacks capacity and now you're in charge. And you can imagine how doctors wrinkle their nose at it. And when you really think about it, when you're assigning someone to act as your agent, to act as your power of attorney, there needs to be an inherent and implicit trust with that person because you're giving them a great deal of power and authority. And the phrase I always use that is memorable to the clients is, when in doubt, leave them out. If you don't trust them to act on your behalf and in your best interests when you have capacity, you certainly can't trust them to act on your best interests and do what's in it best for you when you don't have capacity. And so if you don't trust them to have that authority while you have all your faculties, they are not the right person for the job. And when people think about it that way, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I like that phrase, uh, when in doubt, leave them out. Um, and, and there's different reasons why folks should be left out as being assigned that role. You know, we always talk to uh, our clients about picking the best fit for the job, someone that has the best skill set. It doesn't have to be the oldest child or the nearest child. Those, uh, those are rather low-ranking qualities. We're looking for trustworthiness, uh, maybe fiscal savvy, the uh, working with that t time. We're working with other professionals so they can always get counsel through other advisors about how to make good decisions if they have the character and the willingness to, to so act. I also like recording the power of attorney, and that's recording the power of attorney in the county in which the principal lives. That's another way of providing notice to the world that this is a valid document and it is the current document. So third parties do not have to wonder 
if they're operating with the most current document. What do you think? I think recording is another outstanding idea. It's another one of those layers. When the banks see that, they see a step that you've taken to make sure it's formalized, make sure that you have no doubt that this is the true and accurate document, that it has uh, legal standing. And I think that gives them comfort. And at the end of the day, you're asking them to recognize the transfer of a person's legal, a person's legal authority and everything you can do to show, uh, that you have done this appropriately is going to put you in a better position. Because at the end of the day, if you're using the power of attorney, it's because you're the one who needs help. And it, making those institutions feel comfortable with it is, is going to make your life better. And on top of that, we can actually dovetail in. Uh, another thing you can do is ask an institution if they have their own forms regarding this. And, and some institutions, some financial institutions will. And they will ask uh, either that you fill out a, a basically a specialized power of attorney uh, for use with their institution or that you sign an affidavit swearing as the agent that this is the most current and accurate power of attorney and you know no reason uh, to believe that it's been revoked in any way, shape, or form. And anything you can do, again, playing by their rules, again, it gives them comfort and it's an additional layer uh, that tells them, yes, this is a valid document and we should feel good as a third party relying upon it. I, I totally agree with those and, and have found that strategy to work uh, in in times, especially um, not necessarily with local banks, but if you're dealing with like a Merrill Lynch or a Fidelity or some kind of uh, financial institution like that, that they have their own document. Another way that attorneys can help um, m make this easier for agents and for, uh, for the principal for this to be effective is to draft explicitly into the document the authority to sign new powers of attorney on behalf. Um, so we're not changing who the power of attorney is or who that attorney in fact is, but we're giving the agent the authority to sign these subsequent documents. And that is a, an authority power that is recognized in the state of Tennessee. Again, if attorneys would draft explicitly instead of by incorporation by reference to Tennessee statute, I think that is a helpful thing. We, sh you know, again, we shouldn't have to go into those kind of details because the statute is easily enough recoverable for legal departments, but we're talking about how to make this document easier to use and more effective to use. There's a last, there's a, there's a last straw in the, in, in the quiver, the last bow in the quiver, right? Oh, absolutely. And legal advocacy comes down to, I think, as Barbara, as you so eloquently put it, I don't want to have to sue you, but I will. And the problem is you see it on television shows, legal television shows, I'll see you in court and, and people make that threat. And what they don't realize is that is time consuming, that is costly, that is a pain. If you're trying to act 
on as the power of attorney and do something beneficial uh, for the benefit of uh, the principal in this case, odds are it is time sensitive and legal action probably will not fit into that time sensitive window you're dealing with. And so although you will likely prevail if you have a valid power of attorney and a third party is stomping their feet and just failing to recognize it, yes, you may prevail down the road in court, but it will feel very much like a Pyrrhic victory. You'll win, but it won't feel like it, not at all. And people need to recognize that. And so the right thing to do and the best practices is to go do all of the things that we have laid out here today, build the relationship, make introductions, share the document ahead of time, uh, ask the institution, do they have any specific requirements or uh, do they have their own forms, not make it spring, record the document. All of those things are going to put you in the best position possible and keep you out of the courtroom. And, and good attorneys providing counsel know Keeping you out of the courtroom is some of the best advice that they can give. I totally agree. Um, I don't think I have anything else to add to, to this, Chris. I think that kind of covers um, our, our topic really well. So unless you have something you want to close with, I'm just going to thank our listeners and ask them to continue to follow us on Aging Starts Now. I think that's great, Barbara. That is absolutely perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there, free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.